Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Security Token Show, episode 28. My name is Kyle Sondland, and I'm joined with my co-host, Herwig Cunnings. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining back in for another week, or if you're new, welcome to the show. This week, we'll be going over security token offerings versus tokenization, specifically diving in between the differences of hosting an STO versus simply leveraging tokenization of assets and securities. But for those of you who are also new to the show, before we do get into that, we do like to start our show off with a little company of the week segment where we highlight those who are making the biggest moves in the space. We do this on a weekly basis, so we have weekly winners. And this week, Kyle, I'd love to hear who is your choice. My choice this week comes from Alex Nascimento, Nascimento who launched a book on Amazon called The STO Financial Revolution, How Security Tokens Change Business Forever. And so he launched this book. It's actually free to download via the Kindle app on Amazon. So you can download that and check it out. Nice. It's, it's pretty long. I think it's got eight or ten sections in it detailing both blockchain and, and the evolution of what security tokens are today as well as the regulation pieces around it. And he brings in over 30 industry experts in to discuss many of the pieces there, wow. including some familiar names you might recognize, including Adam Richard, Dave Hendricks, Donna Rettle, Jamie Finn, Mark Boyron, and, and many, many more. And so I just wanted to give him a big shout out because I think that the more institutional content that we can put out in terms of books, in terms of analysis, in terms of research that can help aid more regulators, more investors, more issuers, more people around the world, enthusiasts, whoever, to, to enter into the space and can provide high quality content. I think that's fantastic. I'm excited to read the book myself. I just saw the tweets coming out today from many people. This is Monday the 27th, so it launched today. And, uh, and so it's very, very exciting. Definitely check that out. And for free, I think it's fantastic. So because of that, Alex, you and your book are my company of the week. The STO Financial Revolution. Can't wait to give it a read. Kudos to Alex Nascimento here. Absolutely, like you said, anyone spreading the gospel of security tokens, especially for free, you know, gets should deserve the credit here. And it looks like they, they spent a lot of time finding good candidates and good industry experts to, to bring into the, the book. So I'm looking forward to reading it, and uh, congratulations. Absolutely. It's, it's pretty exciting. It's good stuff. How about you, Herwig? What are you looking at? I'm looking forward to sharing mine here today. I think it's well-deserved coming off of several pieces of news here. My company of the week, Kyle, is a company called Wisdom Tree. Now, Wisdom Tree, for those of you who have not heard of it, is a $64 billion asset manager. And they've recently made its opinion on security tokens quite well-known by investing a couple of weeks ago in issuance platform Securency. Now, this is obviously a major Wall Street player that has signed on their support for a digital securities ecosystem. So that in itself is huge news. But they're actually earning my company of the week because they are on the heel of this announcement, planning a lot more, including a stable coin regulated by the US. And this stable coin, sounding very similar to the original version of Libra, is intended to be pegged to a basket of gold, fiat currencies, and US debt. The difference, of course, versus Libra is that this is a Wall Street asset manager with $64 billion asset under management and a lot of experience in this space. And it's funny, they, the company acknowledges that, that they, they see the stablecoin actually as an extension of its ETF business. Hmm. And that's exchange-traded funds for those uh, listening who are not familiar with that lingo. And they say that their target audience of the stablecoin is actually cryptocurrency traders and that they have more intentions that they hope to also work with regulators to launch a crypto ETF, an ambitious you know, goal wow. that many have attempted to also be launched on public markets as well, targeting you know, more mainstream investors with this. So 
We've had lots of players like Gemini and many others attempt to do this, but none that I think ha- like with this sort of stature. And it's worth acknowledging even that Wisdom Tree, they, they told Financial News that they are rushing to launch a regulated cryptocurrency in the U.S. to get ahead of industry giants like BlackRock wow. and Fidelity. Yeah. So, you know, ultimately, I'd say that the multi-billion dollar asset manager, asset manager also acknowledges that they see the future of ETFs being managed on the blockchain. And of course, I wholeheartedly agree with that and everything else that they're doing. I think this is a great awareness and attention that they're forcing regulators as well as market participants and others to look at both stable coins, ETFs on the blockchain, as well as digital securities as a whole. And therefore, they've earned my company of the week. I couldn't agree more. I think this is a fantastic company of the week. I mean, you're talking about a $64 billion asset manager that's not just exploring one opportunity. They didn't just invest a little bit into an, an issuance platform to explore the space. They're not just launching a stable coin to assist them or testing out what that might mean like we've seen from other firms. They're not just doing any of these pieces. They're, they're, they're trying to explore as many opportunities they can. They've fully bought into the value proposition that we've been preaching. They see the light at the end of the tunnel. And on top of that, they're trying to get ahead of the industry giants like BlackRock and Fidelity and be a leader in this space. I think this is a fantastic company of the week. It's awesome to see that they're they're exploring so many different opportunities in the space. And maybe I'm reading a little bit too into it, but if they're trying to get ahead of industry giants like BlackRock and Fidelity, maybe they're also looking into things like this too behind the scenes and and uh, say that's a fair conclusion. Kyle. So that, that's exciting. also exciting stuff. They Absolutely. would know more than we would about that. So is a very revealing uh, press release to say the least for sure. So again, congratulations to both Wisdom Tree as well as the STO Financial Revolution by Alex Nascimento. Absolutely. Now the show, usually before we get into our main topic here, for those of you who are new, we, we like to structure it here with a bit of a new section covering last week's information in the industry and advancements and things like that, as well as any events that are happening. Kyle then covers us with a STO update section covering all the latest security token offerings, as well as any updates regarding ones that may have been covered in the past. And then he also gives us a great market update section. Of course, there's an active and live secondary market for security tokens, and we we love to get the latest. And then we'll move into our main topic. So with that, Kyle, I'm going to get us started here. Kick it off. With some news, actually, from uh, the the latest update uh, regarding SEC versus Telegram. Now, we've been covering this... this case for quite a, a much while weekly. now. Yeah, pretty much weekly since it sort of was set off in late November. And this time around, it's actually not anything specific to the case, but an outside participant submitting what is called an amicus, which is essentially an outsider who isn't party to the, the case giving their opinion to the court. And in this case, the outsider I'm referring to is actually a quite influential activist group, the Digital Chamber of Commerce. So the Digital Chamber of Commerce submitted in their brief that, you know, that they are requesting the SEC's need to clarify their viewpoints because this is a very landmark case setting precedent for all the future. And they acknowledge that the SEC may actually be stifling economic development in the U.S. as a result of their actions. So they are trying to advise the, the SEC in regards to the, the matter of this case, specifically the brief which was headed up by Lilia Tesler, who's the New York head of the FinTech and Blockchain Group at Sidley Austin Law Firm, cited the fact that in the very case of the Howey versus SEC, the, the famous uh, court case that actually has been used by the SEC to, to determine what is a security or not, that in that very case, which was regarding orange groves, that the Howie orange groves were actually seen as commodities until they were formed into investment contracts, suggesting that the Telegram tokens also are individually digital commodities and therefore not securities, and that the moment that they are issued, they should fall under that category as opposed to be seen as, seen as securities. So the Digital Chamber of Commerce carries a lot of influence, and this is definitely bringing a lot more attention to this case. We'll be sure, of course, to give everybody updates once the hearings occur in New York next month. But of course, if you want to check out the full brief and get a little bit more detail to the thinking of the the Digital Chamber of Commerce here, 
you can check out their full brief in the Coindesk article. And of all the topics that we're going to cover today, all the news and the like, you can, of course, find the, that information in the about description of wherever you're listening to from this podcast. Or you can also go directly to the source at stomarket.com news. And speaking of dealing with SEC regulators, Crowdfund Insider recently covered an event by the Wall Street Blockchain Alliance, which in partnership with a global law firm called Linklaters, hosted a forum on dealing with investigations or inquiries from the SEC. So if you'd like to check out the full range of quotes taken from the various experts at the event, go check out that article. The easiest summary that I can give for everybody here is that they pretty much advise everyone to get great legal counsel before you even do anything related to digital assets, which is actually very sound advice. <laughs> um, moving on, we, we have some more legislative news here, where this time coming from Hawaii, where five state senators have submitted a bill that would make it legal for Hawaiian banks to store digital assets, which defined in the bill covers virtual currencies digital securities, and open blockchain tokens. That's a new one that I have not heard yet. Open blockchain tokens, uh, presumably referring to public blockchains such as Bitcoin, Ethereum. Right, like like the gas, like the Ethereum. Exactly. And, uh, you know, this enables essentially traditional banks, uh, presumably state banks of Hawaii, to become legal custody providers for cryptos and security tokens, which, of course, would be a huge move to the state. It gives them a, a leg up. Uh, because not only does it that mean that the state banks no longer need to actually become registered with the SEC or other federal regulators to uh, custody crypto or securities, in this case digital securities, but it of course also will enable the, the citizens of Hawaii to have easier access to this technology and therefore we might see greater adoption in the state of Hawaii uh, compared to other states here in the U.S. Hmm. Regardless, uh, you know, I think it's definitely a, a form of deregulation, if you will, that, that I would um, support because at the end of the day, banks, of course, are not easy to, to get their own charter for. And so I, I hope that this passes, actually, Kyle, and I, I hope that it sets in motion similar legislation in other states or even federally uh, in the U.S. Yeah, this comes right on the heels of we've seen a few other pieces of regulation that have been proposed with similar results or similar pro- propositions. One of them being we covered at the Cryptocurrency Act of 2020, yep. where yep. they defined it as cryptocurrencies, crypto commodities, and crypto securities. We now see this this bill coming out of Hawaii. There also was the Stablecoins as Securities Act that we've also covered that said that stablecoins were securities instead of stablecoins being you know should be considered as uh, currencies. So we'll see which ones go through. A lot of these things are going to drafted, and so the way that, that this process goes is they get drafted, and then they you know would get sent to the House or or to the Senate. I'm not exactly. I certainly don't have the the best understanding of that piece of it but just being drafted means it's, it's proposed and people are writing it they're trying to figure out exactly right. the best it's way been to do submitted it and now it needs to be discussed debated and voted on regardless of that it is a great sign that we keep seeing more of these bills getting drafted more of these things getting proposed because it does at some point force the regulators around the country to actually need to come together and say okay look there's you know these are we've now have x amount of bills at some point they're going to need to to make regulation and define these things and as we've noted a million times now on this podcast just getting legal definitions of what these assets are represented as and who has jurisdiction over them in terms of who has regulatory oversight as well as how they should be treated in relation to other assets and other asset classes is crucial to the development of this industry and actually allowing that to have the the proper financial adoption to build a sustainable industry so it's fantastic it's great we'll see uh if this is the one that gets passed through or if it, it helps provide the spark um, Unlike to, to, the to two federal bills you brought up, those are, of course, applicable across the entire country, whereas this is just for the state of Hawaii. Right. And this is a little different where we're actually talking about banks being enabled to do custody, not necessarily defining security tokens or anything like that. It just happens to be a buy factor, byproduct or as, as a result right. of this bill, which is also interesting, but a different uh, approach from the, the two federal bills you brought up. Fingers and of course, we'll be, we'll be you know, uh, monitoring those and keeping everybody informed on the podcast as information comes out. 
Next up, meanwhile, you know, we, we had the World Economic Forum in, in Davos happening recently, and tokenization became a keynote subject uh, in, in the conference. Speaking on the importance of security tokens was Niha Narula, who's a director of the Digital Currency Initiative at MIT, and they explained why token ownership differs from a traditional bank held asset. And importantly, she also touched on how blockchain technology improves overall market integrity through transparency. We also saw Jeremy Allaire, who's the CEO of Circle, speak out on the nuances associated with the issues of security tokens that are fully collateralized. Importantly, he discussed how tokenization can create entirely new markets. And these new market opportunities, combined with the global reach, have the potential to spur a wave of new investments. In turn, those funds would provide a new stream of capital for global businesses and markets. Davos is seen, of course, as a major annual event to discuss trends for the year. The fact that security tokens consistently were discussed is strong validation that we will continue to see strong adoption uh, and attention on the subject throughout the year. Now, next up, we have an announcement from Miami International Holdings, the, the MIAX exchange uh, group, if you will, announced today that Mark Wetchin has joined the group as executive vice president, futures and innovative products of MIH and executive regulatory liaison officer. He will also serve as the chief executive officer of Miami International's Futures Exchange and will play a pivotal role in projects relating to the future, futures business as the MIAX Exchange Group expands from electronic trading of options into cash equities, futures, and innovative products including digital securities and crypto assets and derivatives. Mark previously actually served as the commissioner and acting chairman of the Commodities Future Trading Commission, the CFTC. Hmm. From 2011 through 2015, actually appointed under the Obama administration. Most recently, he served as a managing director of the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation, where he successfully led the company's global policy, advocacy, and chaired the board of directors of Deriv slash Serve. So you know, to me, it sounds like Mark is bringing a lot of industry and regulatory experience to this team. And I'm looking forward to more news from MIX this year regarding their security token support and rollout, especially because they're here in our backyard. So congrats to that team. Shout out to Miami. And to Mark for, for joining up. And again, always great to see a regulator turn to this technology and promote its advocacy and adoption. Absolutely. However, unfortunately, while that exchange grows in talent, it seems like another is having its own issues. The Swiss Digital Exchange which is the digital securities and assets platform operated and owned, wholly owned by the Swiss International Exchange, has seen three executives leave in 2020 already. Wow. Their architecture lead, their head of clients and products, and their chief digital officer have all left their full-time roles at the company. One of the executives explained that at first the platform was to utilize the banking sector as a bridge into the rest of the market. However, the strategy apparently changed as SDX began to tailor its platform specifically and solely for the use of banks and institutions. These changes apparently affected morale and fueled the growing disalignment between executives and owners. Originally, the platform was supposed to be much more inclusive, even going as far as to enable startups to provide services around its features. So one thing for sure seems to be clear from this article, it looks like we can expect the Swiss Digital Exchange to be more focused on institutions more so than, per se, retail customers. I hope to see that those executives move to other exchanges or other infrastructure in the security token space because it would be disappointing to see um, great talent leave the space and just go into either traditional financial industries or whatever. I don't know if there was anything in the article suggesting where they may go, but it hopefully did not, they stay in the ecosystem. But I agree. I, you know, this is definitely strong talent, and, and the fact is they were at the very least passionate about the concept of tokenization and blockchain technology bridging financial markets and retail markets. So uh, hopefully they do go on to find great jobs or start their own amazing companies. So if you're listening, definitely see if you can get in contact with, with any of those people. If you're working in, in infrastructure in the space, these certainly are, are talented people looking for a gig. There's definitely a lot of hiring demand out there for buy security token <clears throat> companies. So, And speaking of security token companies, uh, European leading issuance platform Tokeny recently announced a partnership with PricewaterhouseCoopers, specifically PwC Luxembourg, has partnered with Tokeny to launch a joint business relationship to help bring innovative services in the fields of capital markets and asset servicing. 
Tokeny explains that whatever the industry or type of underlying assets, whether they be debt, equity, alternatives, etc., the collaboration will seek to provide full support for the tokenization of existing assets and or new assets tokenization. Thomas Campione of PwC Luxembourg said the, the following of the relationship. Sometimes referred to as securitization 2.0, tokenization has the potential to disrupt many asset classes, alternatives in particular, improve liquidity and allow for faster settlement, lower costs, and reinforced risk management and compliance. PwC Luxembourg is cognizant that the market is still in the early phase of the adoption of blockchain overall, but we strongly believe that it is our responsibility to assume a leadership role in this field and have confidence in tokenese solutions platform and our vision and capabilities to play an important role in bringing value-added innovation to our clients and the market. And I think this is awesome, Kyle. We're seeing a, a massive professional services company like PwC acknowledge tokenization as, a, again, a future driver of technology and adoption. And that, specifically, the, the tokeny team, congratulations to them for being smart by, by partnering up with PwC to help leverage both their client networks as well as their own clients who may need PwC's uh, advisory services on top uh, for tokenization. So it sounds like a great partnership. And in my opinion, hopefully, PwC Luxembourg spreads the word through the rest of PwC <laughs> worldwide about you know the, the gospel of tokenization, if you will. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. I think that, that it's, it's great to see more and more and more firms just continue to acknowledge the benefits, continue to explore how these opportunities can benefit them. I think that, again, cost savings and efficiency is a great value proposition for any large firm, especially when you get to the scale of a lot of these different huge firms like a PwC, that efficiency and those cost savings applied to their entire economics can be incredibly valuable and can be very, very beneficial for them. So the more that we keep exploring these opportunities, we see more and more companies raising capital, more and more products coming out to, to demonstrate the, the benefits. It's exciting and, and it, they're really just, it seems that every week we see more and more firms that are exploring and, and acknowledging the space. And with that, it seems like 2020 is being destined to be the banner year of security tokens. And so it's always fascinating to hear predictions. We gave our own predictions for the year in episode 25. So check out that if, if uh, you haven't had a chance yet. But if you haven't gotten enough, Derek Edward Schloss, of the director, who's the director of strategy at Security Token Academy, led an interview series with all their corporate members to get industry predictions from them for 2020. And it includes players like Securitize, Securency, Vertalo, Tokensoft, T0, and many others. So again, if you didn't get your fill, go ahead and go check out that article. And finally, we do also have a little bit more information in an interview series with Dan Donny, who's the CEO of Securency, uh, who did an interview with Antoine, who's the CEO of Securities.io. So again, if you, if you like checking articles out like that, you can go look for that in the description in the podcast. And with that, I have one event to finish on here, Kyle, which is the Security Tokens Realized Global Awards of 2020. This is their fifth event, I believe. They are one of the mainstream security token event organizers. And in this case, it's going to be an awards ceremony, which will be taking place in London February 4th and 5th. And you can expect many leaders of the industry to be in attendance. So with that, Kyle, I'd love to pass it over to you and hear all about the latest STOs. Thanks for the handoff, Herwig. Um, I'm looking forward to, to that Security Token Realized event. I think they're doing a bunch of different awards for influential companies in the space that are, that are making great moves, whether they're issuance platforms, exchanges, or media companies. So it'll be cool to see who is, is successful there, who wins the, the, uh, the awards. We'll definitely do what we can to report that as we get more info. Moving into new Security Tokens, we've got Reino, R-E-I-N-N-O, Reino who is tokenizing $105 million of a real estate fund. And so Reno is actually a debt issuer that offers collateralized loans backed by real estate. And the firm just announced that they're going to be tokenizing a fund that is managed by ReCapital Growth, R-E-I Capital Growth, which is a commercial real estate fund worth about $150 million that's designed as a two-tiered security token offering. So they're doing $40 million of it in equity in the, the, the commercial real estate portfolio and then 65 million in a debt structured ah. security. So they're doing a, a two security token model, which is, is a fascinating use case. One we haven't quite seen in terms of two security tokens being offered in conjunction with each other. 
And the fund consists of positive cash flow commercial real estate, and they're, they're, which opens up the possibility for potentially periodic dividends like we've seen in other real estate tokens. And so these, these tokens are fully SEC compliant and accessible to investors globally. And the plan is that they will release to secondary markets after their lockup periods. So with their equity, we're talking a one-year lockup period. That's for Reg D. Reg S is, one, is six months, but I think that they probably will lock up the equity there. And then we have 40 days for debt. So this is actually a piece that we haven't discussed in extended detail here in terms of what lockup periods and how they differ for assets. But for equity, you're talking about a much longer lockup period than for debt instruments. So the interesting piece here is that with their debt security token offering, the, the debt piece of it, the 65 million, actually will only have a 40-day lockup period from the closing of their investment, which will be very interesting and allows for, for much easier secondary market exchange, a much quicker, rather. Um, and so there isn't actually much information yet available on the terms of these, these structured offerings. They, they haven't publicized that yet, but there is more info on reinno.io, reino.io, and in the future, hopefully I'll be able to report more about the actual structure of what these offerings look like. Yeah, I'm looking forward to learning more from when you do get that information, Kyle. It sounds like a, a cool offering of you know, a dual structure of equity and debt is very common, but it hasn't been... Uh, showcased that uh, much in the security token space yet. So I'd love to see how this works out and, and obviously learn a little bit more about who are they using for issuance, what, what blockchain, et cetera, would also be, be interesting to know. So definitely looking forward to the update there. Absolutely. I know they offer debt and collateralized loans leveraging DAI. So potentially there's, there's an Ethereum connection there that they may be looking to tokenize on. In terms of, of what else, I don't have a whole lot more info yet. Moving on, we have another alternative investment real estate fund, this time based out of Liechtenstein. This is Argos, A-A-R-G-O-S. And so Token Factory and Bank Frick collaborated to launch a FMA-approved issuance platform out of Liechtenstein, and FMA is the... the SEC or the FINRA equivalent of Liechtenstein, it's their, their monetary authority there. And in addition to announcing the regulatory approval for the issuance platform itself, they actually announced that the, their first tokenized fund as well, which is going to be the Argos Global Real Estate Fund, which will be also potentially tokenized on the Ethereum blockchain. And so this one was announced to be on Ethereum, whereas the, the first one in, in was not yet. We'll see. And Token Factory, I believe, is the issuance platform. Token Factory the, is the yeah. issuance platform, indeed. And so investors are, are going to be whitelisted following KYC AML tests for proper compliance. So it's not going to be just a fully public offering, but I think that they will solicit publicly and then they'll take on the KYC AML, then throw you onto the whitelist and then allow you to invest that way. Potentially, that's also how it will secondary. Liechtenstein is, is actually just really proving to be a fantastic leader. I'm interested to hear your thoughts, Herwig, on, on, on what they've really been able to do over, over the last couple of, of weeks and months, certainly in the tokenization space. Because if you remember, last, last week, New Fund issued Grapes security token. They, they were able to onboard that company and help them with their fundraise process, which completed and the tokens were issued. And that's also an adherence to Liechtenstein securities law. So um, they're really being a great leader in the space. They're, they're helping to pave the way. And while they're not a member of the EU, they comply with the same necessary regulations re revolving around securities law. So they actually are allowed to participate in the EU financial market. So it's a great way for them to kind of pave the way and prove the process for some of these potentially even larger financial jurisdictions to explore opportunities. Yeah, I think this is a, a, another great validation that real estate is going to be another popular, you know, tokenization uh, asset class. And also, like you said, that Liechtenstein is a very forward and progressive country. They can leverage the fact that they can tap into the EU markets. But we've acknowledged over the show uh, since we've started now several instances where, where the regulators there have been very progressive thinking. They've helped define uh, the different uh, types of cryptos and crypto securities, etc., and now, of course, we've seen several instances of them approving issuance platforms and deals to be, uh, and specifically STOs, to be issued in the region. So I'd say they are definitely one of the sort of gold star examples out of Europe. Uh, and it's great to see this uh, 
offering come to market. Again, it's sort of limited earlier to, to the earlier example in terms of what you can share, but I'm sure you'll learn more over the next few weeks. And when you do, you know, I'm looking forward to learning more about the specifics uh, of the offering. Absolutely. I will do everything I can to give that info. Finally, we've got one more offering. This is a look at the Silic Silicon Valley coin by Andra Capital. And this is one that isn't new. We've, we've heard the, the name Silicon, Silicon Valley coin and Andra Capital for uh, at least a year or two now, if not more. They've been contemplating and exploring how to leverage this, potentially looking for the most scalable solution, or maybe they wanted to wait and, and see how the first round of tokens went on market and, and, and learn from those experiences. But the Silicon Valley-based VC firm Andra Capital did announce its plans officially to tokenize its LP economic interest in its late-stage venture funds. So they invest in, in, in a lot of tech companies, a lot of startup businesses, but again, they focus on the late stages of those companies and, and, and look to, to invest there. And so they, they announced that not only were they going to launch this token, but they, they confirmed that TokenSoft will be the issuance platform that they are working with, and they will be tokenizing via the Tezos blockchain. I know the Tezos Foundation has been very supportive of security tokens. They've explored that in many different ways. And, and in this case, they also there, there was glowing reports on the Tezos Foundation from this, this announcement as well, that they've been very supportive of the cause. And so the plan, I think, is that investors are going to invest in the fund normally, as in you would invest in a traditional venture fund, but they're offering the option that you can receive tokens corresponding to your LP interest. So um, you can keep it in a traditional method if that's what you'd prefer, but you can also get those tokens issued, minted, and then sent to your wallets so that you can get secondary liquidity if you'd prefer. So it's, a, I think, a good model that does allow for traditional investment as well. If, if you know more institutional capital is interested in just sticking with the traditional side of it, but they also can get that secondary return and at least I think begin to allow people to dip their toes in the water without fully having to commit to something radically different. It's just you can see it happening and then eventually if you get confident enough, issue your own tokens and then, and then do the same. So if you want to read more about this offering or check out the white paper, you can. It's at www.svc.fund. You do need to sign an NDA before learning about the terms here. So I can't discuss publicly about what, what the, the terms of this deal are, but check out the white paper. SVC.fund is the URL. Moving into the market update, we've got secondary tokens. Unfortunately, this was not a great week. We had such great progress from T0 and its token over January. It, it had been rising. It was up percent after percent after percent each day. We, I think we had 10 or 15 days of the 20 that were that were positive days for T0 after it, it kind of slid through the end of, of 2019. And unfortunately, in a two-day span, being Thursday and Friday of, of the last week, we saw a significant decline. It was down 24% over the last week, hitting a low of $1.22 on Friday. And since then, the market cap has fallen to $32 million from the 44 that it had been before and wiped out all of the progress that the token had made in January over the span of two days. Uh, it leaves our total STO market cap at $61 million, which is down 20% from the $76 million from last week, which again is understandable because T0 makes up most of the market cap still to this day of the live tokens. But... We'll have to see how it goes. Wednesday was sitting strong around that $1.60 mark. And by the close of Friday, we were staring $1.20 right in the face. So here's hoping that this week, starting Monday the 27th and moving through into the beginning of February, we can turn that around and, and keep the positive momentum that it had been doing for, for so much of January. But moving into the other tokens... Like most weeks, we, we didn't see a ton of volume from many of the other tokens, but I am excited to announce that through stomarket.com, which is where we source all of this trading data uh, for each week, we do have programmatic API trading data for the Uniswap exchange. So with T0 and Open Finance, we have a research team that compiles the price changes daily, but now we're actually able to integrate the hourly trading updates to the platform uh, for the Uniswap live tokens. So currently they, they have three live tokens, as we've mentioned before, and they're all real estate properties. 
9943 Marlowe Street, 16200 Fullerton Avenue, and 5942 Audubon Road. Two of those being single-family houses and one of them being an apartment complex with 15 different units. And so all three of these, these tokens are live on Uniswap. They are adding more as well through 2020. They have plans to add many more. And all of those new tokens will be added automatically as well. So it's, it's exciting that we're now integrating APIs to have programmatic updating for, for hopefully real-time trading data as quickly as we can. Huge. On that note, the three Uniswap tokens do see small, consistent daily volume, which is a great step in the right direction. When we compare that to Open Finance, for example, their tokens really only see maybe one to two trades a month at most. So most of the tokens don't have much consistent trading action at all. Whereas with Uniswap, at least they're getting, a, I think it averages maybe $100 a day per token, which is nice to at least see a consistent daily volume that shows that there's investors interested. It's not quite the T0 levels of three to 5,000, but they also have a much smaller supply. So it's difficult to have that consistent trading volume quite as high. Um, but aside from that, love to see what they're doing. Excited to see more assets on the platform. And that's about it for the market segment. That's awesome, Kyle. With that, I, I'm not surprised, really. It's unfortunate to hear about T0, but uh, I think with that, we can move on to our main topic here regarding security token offerings versus tokenized securities. So, you know, we really wanted to get into the nitty gritty of terminology for our listeners here and, and give a better understanding of hopefully how security token technology is being used. The industry is largely being driven by the concept of security token offerings and then also the concept of tokenizing existing asset classes. So many look at security token offerings sort of as an evolution of equity crowdfunding or more generally a, a better way to do fundraising, whereas tokenization is seen as making traditional analog assets digital, not necessarily with the intention of fundraising behind them. So at its core, what we're really talking about is the digital transformation of both fundraising as well as separately asset management. Another way that I look, like to look at the two is from a primary issuance perspective or from a secondary transaction perspective. In other words, in a primary issuance, I'm referring to issuing brand new shares for a company. If I'm a startup or a fund and I'm raising outside money for the firm, then there will be existing shareholders that will dilute to make room for the incoming investors by issuing new shares. If instead the company is selling existing issued shares to a buyer in a secondary transaction, that means they, they are avoiding dilution because the primary issuance of the shares already occurred and they are now doing a sale. So if you will, STOs equals primary, tokenization equals secondary. So if we get a little bit more complex now, when someone is conducting a security token offering, it should already be assumed that they are conducting a primary sale. They are doing an offering of security tokens. Now, just because they are fundraising doesn't actually mean that they need to raise publicly. So in any fundraise, regardless of it being tokenized, it does need to be registered with the SEC or a financial regulator outside the U.S., and typically requires leveraging a specific exemption or a rule, if you'd rather, which entails the parameters of the fundraise. In the cases of STO, specifically in the U.S., but it tends to apply globally, we're really looking at three main category types of fundraising. The first I like to call private institutional sales, which make up more than 95% of all fundraising today. And what that really means is that the fundraise is not advertisable. Essentially, it must be shared in what's called closed communications and is only investable by accredited investors, which essentially are the top 10% wealthiest Americans, or by financial institutions. The second type of fundraise is what I like to call a public institutional sale, which means it can be advertised or marketed, uh, which is also commonly dubbed equity crowdfunding. But... However, the investor base is still limited to accredited investors and institutions. And then finally, Kyle, we have the public retail sale, mm -hmm. which obviously is more commonly referred to as an IPO on the public markets, enabling everyone and anyone, regardless of their accreditation status, to also invest and participate. So all three types of fundraisers can be tokenized and be a form of an STO. 
So if you learn about an STO, you can assume it's a new issuance of shares, but you can't assume whether you qualify right away or not. You'll have to do some research. As expected, a public institutional sale allows more access through the use of awareness by marketing and offering, hence the rise of equity crowdfunding and the use of the internet to market that offering. But of course, in a private institutional sale, the issuer will have to rely on their own investor network, most commonly looked at as venture capitalists and angels, or by working with a broker-dealer, which is you know, a regulated firm by the SEC that is enabled to help fundraising efforts on behalf of others. Right. Okay, cool. So let's dig into that a little bit. Let's break that down. So we've got three main category types of, for fundraising. You've got private institutional sales, which you detailed very well, which is most of the fundraising process. And that pretty much is just done behind closed doors. You can't market. You can't advertise it. It's something that's supposed to be very private. Maybe there's NDAs involved. Maybe there's other pieces as well. And that's maybe mostly the traditional it's fundraising the process, way right? everything is done mostly, and it was done entirely up until 2012, okay. where the law changed enabling these public institutional sales, if you like, where so, you can okay. equity crowdfund. Yeah. So they enabled equity crowdfunding. And essentially what that means is, is really it's the same exact process, except you're allowed to advertise and market it to anybody as long as you make sure that the only people actually giving you money are the ones that are qualified to do so. Perfectly said. And then finally, our third type is an IPO, which is where anybody can buy that. That's a traditional public offering where you can go on to TD Ameritrade, make your account, and buy your buy your, your stock, whether it's through an OTC market, whether it's through a national security exchange like the NASDAQ or NYSE, or in, in any other means of doing that. But that's a public offering, which requires a whole lot more auditing a whole lot more public documentation versus in the private fundraisers where you can be a lot more private about what your actual company finances look like. You don't need to have shareholders and answer to them and all of those pieces. So the IPO comes with its own set of challenges that you don't face with the, the private raise. But with a private raise, there were a little bit more restrictions on maybe who can give money. And at least until 2012, you weren't, allowed, you weren't even allowed to show that you were raising money. Whereas now, I guess Uber could, no, no, not Uber anymore, but, but a private company could, could go and make a Super Bowl ad and say, hey, we're raising money for our new financing round as long as they, they make sure that the only people actually giving the money are accredited, right? Yep, that's uh, you know not to, to get too complicated in the different fundraising exemptions, but that is in a nutshell right. what we're talking about here. Okay, uh, cool. Ultimately, you're, what you're referring to, Kyle, is picking the rule which en enables you to fundraise, and all of that has nothing to do with tokenization. It just simply determines who you are allowed to fundraise from and in what capacity. Great. Okay, and, so we got that. And some examples, we've seen some of these public retail sales, if you will, these IPOs as well. We saw the Merge IPO, which was a global public retail IPO that people could participate in. And of course, we've seen the news about INX, which is attempting to be the first tokenized IPO for US public markets, which hopefully we'll learn more information on about later next month. Okay. And when we're, so let's get in, you know, the other side of it. We've covered the fundraising, and as you have just acknowledged, you know, fundraising really has already been structured. There are regulations to follow. And the tokenization component really is more of a after the fact. The STO is simply hinting the, and implying to investors that what they're going to receive is a tokenized digital instrument that they will be using for, for asset management purposes. And so let's kind of move into that world. Uh, you know, when we're, we're still, you know, when we're talking about tokenization in regards to the technology, we're really talking about the use of it for its asset management purposes, which could be most commonly referred to regarding the asset transferability, the ownership transferability, AKA the liquidity of the asset, but can also be a lot of other uh, value adds that we'll, we'll get into. So let's kind of give an example now of a tokenization versus an STO. Mm -hmm. And in this case, I think the most popular example is real estate. You know, if an issuer owns an existing property, finding a buyer can be very complicated because the asset itself typically needs to be sold in its entirety 
to a buyer who intends to use the property either to live in it or to monetize it by renting it or flipping it, okay. right? And so by tokenizing the property, now the issuer can sell their property digitally to owners who don't need to necessarily use the property, and it can be sold in fractions. And as a result, creating potentially more buyers due to a lower minimum purchase requirement, as well as more people being interested into the possible opportunity to invest than just, say, the local area who is aware of that real estate market. Mm -hmm. Now, depending on the type of security being tokenized for a secondary sale, it may be available to sell to other accredited investors or institutions, or alternatively may be traded to anyone because it's either publicly registered or is traded under 144A exemption, or uh, it is seen as a traditional asset that doesn't necessarily have securities uh, rules associated to it. And let's just throw in there the clarifying that the 144A exemption is the exemption that we saw used by T0 that allows retail investors to buy and sell a That's private right. security. You so, got it. Yep. Okay, great. And, and we do not normally see that exemption be used traditionally in private markets, but we expect that as a result of this tokenization concept, we expect this exemption to be used a lot more to enable more retail investors access to a private security. But all in all, what we're really getting at, uh, I think, to take away from this is that there are going to be multiple types of secondary markets, marketplaces, exchanges, and the like for the different types of eligible audiences. An example might be a T0, which enables both retail and institutions to participate in their offerings through the 144A exemption, as we just mentioned. Another example is Open Finance, which is a, a private uh, broker-dealer, which has an ATS license and therefore is a marketplace enabled to trade uh, securities, but it's limited to typically institutional and accredited investors unless it were to be a Reg A or Reg C offering, which has yet to, to occur in the tokenization space. And then finally, we kind of have it from the box markets perspective, if you will. This is the uh, Boston Security Token Exchange partner with T0 that is launching a full-on public exchange just like the NASDAQ where, where you'll be able to do full-on tokenized IPOs on their exchange and trade to anybody. So the one thing we can expect, though, is that all of them will be using digital interfaces and blockchain uh, to help manage their, their platforms. Now, we did mention earlier, Kyle, that you know, liquidity is the primary purpose of why people are tokenizing, but it's not the only reason to want to do so. Specifically, smart contracts enable assets and securities to become a lot more efficient, both from, of course, their transfer of ownership uh, experience, but also when it comes to enabling shareholder voting, programmatic payments for dividends or debt products, and real-time digital cap table management, among many other benefits, including information reporting, and disclosure uh, requirements for, for the underlying asset and such. We're really just getting started on scratching the surface, but those are the main sort of value adds that dramatically improve asset management as a whole. So essentially when we're talking about someone you know, doing tokenization, we can't necessarily just assume that they're doing it for liquidity purposes. They may actually be doing it to improve the investor experience or improve their underlying operations Absolutely. or otherwise. So at least from my perspective, Kyle, regarding this topic, you know, I, I take away from the top level that tokenization is the digital transformation uh, of asset management and really that you know, has ramifications both from a fundraising perspective as well as an asset management perspective. And therefore, the two trends that are fueling the rise and growth of this industry will be STOs for primary issuances as well as this, this rise of tokenization of existing asset classes for secondary sales as well as improving the overall efficiency and management of those securities and assets. That's a great rundown, Herwig, and I, I love that we were getting into this topic today because we have articles that we talk about each week, including that we've talked about this week, where we talk about cost savings and efficiency. And you may be thinking, well, why does a large firm like PwC need a security token offering to fundraise? And the answer is that they really don't. They, they may not need to conduct a fundraise. 
but they can capitalize on so much of the efficiencies of tokenization through digitally managing all of their different assets. And that's where a lot of this, this cost savings and time savings comes from. So, so the value of tokenization is not just in the fundraise process. And the fundraise process is not the only piece of tokenization. And so I think it's, it, you did a fantastic rundown. Um, I think that we're going to see many use cases develop where issuers of security tokens actually handle their fundraise process separately, whether it's through debt or traditional equity financing, or maybe they're public companies, but they leverage tokenization for their asset and shareholder management. Example might be like TSOPs. We discussed this, a full episode on TSOPs, which is tokenized employee stock option plans, if you're not familiar with the acronym which would allow for an issuer to manage their full employee stock option plan by leveraging tokenization. And it's a fantastic use case that involves no financing at all. And we discussed it much, much, in much, much more detail in episode 22. So if you're interested in hearing more about how that would work, or it, it was stemming from the news that Fidelity Labs, which is a branch of Fidelity, was exploring how they could leverage this opportunity for their employees. So it was very relevant. It still is very relevant. If you want to hear, definitely check that out. But cap table management is super useful from a technological perspective because it enables liquidity for its shareholders in the same way. So if a company offers its employees stock as part of the salary or the bonus structure, they could actually provide those employees with opportunities to sell or exchange that stock for cash or, or other values that through a private portal or th- something like that to provide them with liquidity that doesn't necessarily require them to be on public exchanges. They don't need to be trading liquid. It can kind of just be a, a secondary resale or peer-to-peer buyback program that can provide those employees with the liquidity that they may want and, and it also allows the company to manage those shares in-house in, in kind of a, a private you know, structure. And so for many companies that, that do prefer to stay privately owned, the, the equity is incredibly valuable and managing that is, is often done in, in spreadsheets and, and manual processes that, that can be improved tenfold exponentially even um, in, using, leveraging this process. So tokenization is fantastic. Security token offerings are great too. It's, it's an awesome, I think, example of one of the ways that tokenization is incredibly valuable. And uh, hope you learned a little bit about that in, in today's episode. But I think that that's all that we got for Security Token Show, episode 28. I think so. You know, of course, if anyone has any feedback, questions, or anything like that, you can reach out to us on our socials, either on Twitter or LinkedIn. We're, we're always very active there. And, of course, feel free to, to engage with us on stomarket.com uh, as well. And with that, thanks for listening, and I hope to, to see you next week. Talk to you next week. Thank you.